0: Before, when I graduated, probably 10 years ago, I used leather. For me, starting the brand when I moved to London as a vegan, I was like, well, you know what, somehow it doesn't make sense if I would, you know, start where I ended this, you know, in my graduate collection. I was like, I I feel like I need to start a vegan brand. I started researching and finding all these alternatives. And I was like, wow, this is mind-blowing. I knew I have to change something because my life changed, my lifestyle changed.
1: Welcome to another exciting episode of the Plant Based News Podcast. In today's episode, we explore the burgeoning vegan fashion scene with our special guest, fashion designer and activist, Sarah Regensberger. Hailing from Germany, Sarah received her education at an international school in Munich and spent some time in Beijing before working as a designer for Adidas for four years. Ultimately, she chose to follow her passion, leaving her job and relocating to London to establish her own label. As a German-born London-based designer with Iranian heritage, Sarah Regensburger founded her eponymous sustainable vegan fashion brand in 2018. Driven by a vision of boundless creativity and a commitment to rebellious spirits, the Sarah Regensburger collections embody unapologetic individuality, diversity and a dedication to a more sustainable future. Since its inception, the brand has made waves in the fashion world, appearing in renowned fashion publications like Vogue, Elle and Grazia, among others. Sarah has showcased her collections in various events, including the Hackney Fashion Wick show and her spring 2023 show, The Trinity. Utilizing eco-friendly materials like cactus leather and bamboo, the brand's core value emphasizes respect for nature, humanity, and the environment. I'm incredibly thrilled to welcome Sarah to the PBN Podcast today as we dive deeper into her vegan journey and her remarkable professional trajectory in the vegan fashion world. My name is Robbie Lockie and this is the PBN Podcast. As always, if you like this episode, don't forget to comment, like and share. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps get the message
2: out there. Let's get to the episode. Thanks so much for joining us on the PBN Podcast, Sarah. What a pleasure to sit down with you and hear your story.
0: Hi, everyone. And thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I'm really excited. Thank you.
2: My absolute pleasure. So um, we met a few months ago at your fabulous fashion show in London, um, which I absolutely loved. It was uh, fascinating. And we'll definitely talk about it and talk about you know, your style and your and your fashion uh, the concepts and things that you address but before we talk about all the amazing things you're doing with your life at the moment let's go back in time and let's talk a bit about what brought us together which is veganism how did you discover this lifestyle where did it all begin for you
0: well it's a funny story it kind of started six years ago and uh, for me it started as a vegetarian I didn't go straight into veganism. And the reason was that my dad uh, read a book <laughs> and told me about it. And um, what he told me about, you know, we shouldn't eat meat and, you know, all about the vegan lifestyle. It made me think about it. And I feel personally I heard it at the right moment in my life or I was open to hear it. So yeah, he told me about it. And I was like, maybe I should try to, you know, cut off meat. And like, it was more about health, to be honest, at the beginning. Yeah, it started with my dad, really, which uh, is quite a funny story. And on my journey, it really became a lifestyle choice. And nowadays, I would say it's much, much more about the animals than it is about health. Even though I came from there, it really made me changed my whole life. And in a way, I think it was my calling. And I personally think veganism for me is my purpose. It's beautiful that I discovered this. And when I moved to London, that's where I became fully vegan, which was four, year, four or five years ago. Yeah, it was just vegetarians for two years and then uh, veganism. And then it became just my whole life. Yeah. So that's kind of Amazing. my journey, to be honest.
2: Amazing. I mean, tell me more about this book that your dad wrote. That sounds fascinating.
0: Well, he read this book by Ellen Kerr. So I haven't read it, which is quite funny. And it's actually about losing weight. Um, but it actually shows you that your body doesn't need meat to have, like, have. A life, healthy lifestyle, and I know lots of people lose weight when they don't eat meat, but that was not the main thing. I think he read it to lose weight, and in the end, like the whole family became vegan, which is quite a funny story. Oh, but, yeah! I think I, mis- I
2: misheard you. I thought you said um, your dad wrote a book. I was going to say that's um, oh. even more interesting. But yeah, it isn't it incredible how books and films and art can influence us as people and completely change our perspective on our worldview, really, what we eat, our political views. I'm constantly hearing stories of people whose whole entire paradigm has been shifted by something like a book. And I find books so magical. I mean, when you are reading a book and you're reading the words, to me, it's a form of time travel because you're having a conversation with something that was created in the past. It may have been made a few months ago, or could have been written a thousand years ago. Uh, And that person is communicating through the pages to you and influencing you hopefully in a positive way with every page so I absolutely love books and um, uh, even though I don't read enough um, I think it should be it should be a part of all our lives as much as possible Definitely, fiction and non-fiction no. <laughs> yeah. yeah so another thing obviously that brought us together um, is your amazing work uh, and your involvement in fashion tell us a little bit about how you got involved in fashion how did you find yourself in this world
0: well, to be honest, I was growing up with fashion. Um, my mom, when I was really little, like six years ago, like six years old, she had her own, uh, kids shop. So she was selling clothes. Um, so whenever she went to fairs or like to order for her store, I was always there, like from a really young age. I, I personally think that did definitely influence me. Um, and then I think when I was kind of 12 years old, I was like, I'm going to study fashion design. I love to draw and like things like that, but it was not like something I naturally did when I was young, but I just knew it's my calling. I don't know. It sounds a bit cliche, but that's the truth. I'm from Germany from like a kind of not small, but like definitely smaller city yeah fashion. it's not really a fashion city so every time when I said I want to study fashion design with like 12 years people were like yeah sure you will do that um so yeah but I did so uh it was kind of my calling I say
2: <laughs> I mean it's amazing and that, that's the thing to have a life of purpose is such a special thing and I think so many people in this life feel a sense of confusion and um, a lack of direction and for me having a, a purpose and I'm also like you very lucky to have found a a sense of purpose it really helps you get out of bed in the morning no matter how bad you feel being able to have something that you love that you're passionate about even on the worst day you know you still feel inspired to to pick up the paintbrush or the scissors or the needle or whatever it is that your your craft your tool of uh, choice is and it really can act as a, a fire underneath you Um, And I've spoken to many people who've said the same, that having that sense of purpose has given their life so much direction. But it isn't easy, is it? It's not always easy to find a sense of purpose, especially in something like fashion. And, you know, fashion is notoriously the fashion industry of which we're all a part of, because if you wear clothes, you're involved in the fashion industry. I always find it funny. when People say, I'm not interested in fashion. I'm like, well, you wear clothes. So you are part of the fashion industry, (laughs) Whether whether you like it or not, good and bad. But it is a notoriously challenging industry to be in. It can, it has a reputation of being, you know, very uh, exclusive, exclusive, exclusory, only people of certain looks and perhaps ages can be very ageist. I mean, how, when it comes to sort of this, because you obviously are born in Germany, you have, a, as far as I read, an Iranian heritage, and now you're based in London, a very, very beautifully diverse city. What's been your experience of the industry at large? but also how you feel about representing different types of people.
0: I love fashion. I, I feel like I'm meant to do this, but I had struggles uh, with the industry because I just didn't want to do something so shallow. And it is a, like it is quite a shallow industry. And yeah, we're changing things up, but yes, we're still doing things that we've done for centuries. Yeah, I was like really struggling. I was like, is this really what I want to do? Like, because of course we are all part of the fashion industry, but if as a fashion designer, I'm really part of it. Like I'm in the middle of it. So do I really want to support this? Until I've realized I actually, um we all can make a difference. This is, I think, where I'm happy to be part of it because I see we can change it. And for me, there can be much more diversity and much more sustainability and growing up with two cultures, diversity is just a part of me. So I'm not overthinking diversity. It's just a part of me. And when I choose models, for example, it's, you know, about their personalities more than where are you from? Like, of course, it's important to show everybody, but it's naturally like for me, it feels so natural to do that anyways. So it doesn't feel like ticking any boxes. And I feel like we can do so much more in terms of sustainability and diversity in the fashion industry, but I'm happy to challenge these things. And that's why I'm okay to be part of the industry. But there's so much we need to change,
2: so Mm. much. Absolutely. I mean, in my personal experience, and I went to Paris Fashion Week for the first time a few months ago. Well, I've never been to such an event. Um, And I was actually invited to Stella McCartney's um, show. And I had never experienced a show in person before. And you know, I was sitting there amongst all these high fashion people and I felt very out of place. I'm not a fashionable person at all. I, I used to be a little bit when I was in my 20s, but now I've kind of like become an activist and a journalist. And I, my work is very much about information and knowledge, but there's always room for growth, as they say. However, anyways, I am in the midst of this, all these amazing people, all they're were looking stunning and a winter, like sort of few feet away from me. And then the models came on and I was quite shocked at how they looked. You know, they were all very, very slim, showing no emotion and sort of walking in a very specific way, it struck me really, uh, the sort of lack of humanity about it. Now, I love Stella. She's amazing. And, you know, I love her innovation. And she's a very bright and creative person. But I guess I was expecting to see something a little more like your show. And your show included a real mix of different types of people. I guess this is a very specific type of fashion. But do you ever see this changing? Do you ever see this type of fashion changing, or do you think it's sort of stuck in its ways, perhaps?
0: I hope it's not going to be stuck in its ways. I think it's so confusing why we show the same type of person. Like, if you're slim, it, like, that's totally fine. Everybody is the way we are. But just showing one type of person doesn't make sense to me because at the end of the day, who wears clothing? It's every one of us. We look all different. We are not all super tall, super, like, we are so different. And I think that's the reason why we should show. The clothing on real people. Um, Of course, these are real people, but they don't show emotions because they've been told to not to show emotions because it's about the garment. But for me, the garment comes alive with the person wearing it. Like when I wear something, it's it's actually looks different on me than it will be on you. Like I bring the garment alive, and a model should bring the garment alive. And when I choose my models, it's so much more about their personalities. I think all my models have such strong personalities, and in a sense, they're all rebels with a cause which is all (laughs) about like my brand is all about the rebel with the cause so my models represent that they have a personality and they bring the garment alive and this is all what it's about for me fashion is you know about the person so I hope it will change it takes time I'm sure because I think probably 70% of the brands still do what they know like it's always bit tricky to get out of the norm you know because this is how we see things and maybe we don't want to like challenge it and show it in a different way because people would say why is you know why is it so different it needs to change i really think it needs to change drastically
2: it does, because I think, you know, when you see these events and you watch these models, what kind of message are we sending to young people that they have to look and be a certain way and, and maintain a certain aesthetic to be able to to be high fashion? Because as you say, fashion is for everyone and there are no rules in fashion. And, you know, fashion is expression. Fashion is identity. Fashion is what we want it to be. And this is sort of exclusory nature of high fa- the high fashion world it does create a sort of exclusive club you know i wrote in my notes that i felt like i was sort of getting a sneak peek into an exclusive club <laughs> you know that i really didn't feel a part of i didn't feel like i belonged there at all but it was fascinating because you know there is so much power in fashion isn't there there's so much influence in fashion when we dress when we power dress in a in a beautiful suit or in a in a beautiful gown you know, we, and we do our hair or we wear makeup or we wear jewelry as people, you know, we evoke all kinds of emotions in the people that look at us. And that doesn't matter what our body shape is. You know, a person can exude beauty and power no matter who they are and, and, their, and their body shape. Because even though we live in a society that says, you know, men and women should look a certain way to be able to exhibit, you know, beauty and power um, but I think fashion has the, has the ability to take us somewhere, doesn't it? When we get dressed up, we feel like we've gone on a journey somewhere, haven't we?
3: <laughs> Let's talk about Adam and Eve. Now, for the heathens in the crowd today, Adam and Eve is a story from the Bible. And it's about the first human beings who were created by God. And they lived naked in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was gorgeous. It was this luscious place. And these two had to fulfill just one condition to live there. Don't eat a fruit from the forbidden tree. It sounds really easy, right? The tree literally has the word forbidden in its name. Apparently it wasn't. Because one day, Adam and Eve decide to eat an apple from the tree. And the moment they take a bite, they realize they're naked and they feel really embarrassed. So they run around the garden trying to find leaves to cover themselves up. Am I skipping some parts of that story? Definitely. But I summarized the parts that to me demonstrate the fundamental way most of us see clothing. It exists for a single purpose and that's to cover our bodies. Our society looks at clothes, hair, shoes, makeup, accessories, collectively what I will call fashion in a very practical and utilitarian way. Folks, today, I want to show you why that's wrong. I want to talk about the power of fashion and the ability it has to transform our lives. My name is Maria. I'm a student, a researcher, an author. The way you dress influences how other people perceive you. It's the reason why your mom's ironing that white shirt before your first proper job interview, while you're up at midnight texting your friends 15 different outfit options before your first date with that smoking hottie from the library. We're trying to project confidence, skill, wit, intelligence, all these wonderful and amazing aspects of our personality. All I did was adopt that into my daily life. Why should I just project these amazing things at job interviews and first dates? I noticed something that was happening around the same time as this newfound passion for fashion. I was walking with a bit more bounce in my step. I was more confident going outside of my comfort zone. I felt like the imposter syndrome that had gripped me since my very first day at university was decreasing little by little the thing i attributed this change to was my newfound interest in fashion i noticed that taking a few minutes to craft a good outfit made me feel prepared to take on the day i felt like my clothes were helping me be my best self
2: you know some some people have said to me oh but you know fashion is just dress up but i really think it's more than that don't you do what do you think about that when sometimes people say oh but you're just you're just dressing up. You know, fashion should just be functional.
0: I think it's fashion is a feeling. Like I always say that when I design, the one thing I want the person who wears it to feel like is that they can they feel like they can change the world. And I personally think that fashion can make you feel a certain way. It can make you feel powerful in a good way, obviously. Power is not always a positive word, but I just mean it in a good way. It can make you feel a certain way and This is what we do. Like, that's why we dress up. That's why we like to make our hair up. And some people are more into it or not. But still, it can make you feel a certain way. And this is exactly what it should make you feel, in like, positive. But sometimes it's really tricky because we feel good. But the garment we're wearing is maybe not really good. You know what I mean? Like, it's a bit tricky. But even me, I personally, because you said that, you you didn't feel like you fit in. I'm literally, my whole world is fashion and I never, I never felt like I fit into the industry. Yeah. So I made my own little bubble where right. I feel <laughs> honestly, like I feel good and I want few people to work with me that feel good as well. So yeah.
2: That's amazing. And that's the thing, like nobody owns fashion. And I think that's the point uh, is that you can carve your own path in the in in these industries that feel very exclusive. And that's where disruptors come in, you know, we as disruptors can come in and dis- and PBN, we we say, we're here to disrupt the conventional narrative. <laughs> and <Love> that. <laughs> you know, that, that's our mission. Our mission is to change the conversation around the consumption of animals uh, and the use of animals in fashion. And of course, entertainment as well. We believe, and I believe with every fiber of my being, that human beings should be custodians and protectors of this earth and all the sentient beings on it. And that we are not meant to be Killing and destroying and abusing the beautiful beings that we share this world with, because they are finite like us. They're limited. They're mortal. And if we don't change our ways and we don't stop abusing them like we are, you know, there will be none left, and we'll be alone on this planet, which is not something I want. Uh, you know, that's part of the mission. But so let's just turn the conversation a bit onto animals and their use in fashion. And my friend Joshua Katcher, who was on in the latest film Slave mentioned how animals disappear into fashion
4: items. So we have on one hand, the fur industry making all of these claims and, and capitalizing on aesthetic irrationality, real fur somehow being seen as natural. Then we have faux fur. Plastic is a problem. That's, un, that's without a doubt. Plastic is a problem. But faux fur is not a single use plastic. And it's also something that can be made with recycled plastics, recycled ocean plastics, bioplastics. I've touched fur that's made from coconut oil. I've touched fur that's made with corn oil. There are ways to make faux fur and there are increasing innovations happening in this realm that we're gonna see faux fur continue to improve and improve. Faux fur is something that you're not washing in your washing machine regularly. So when we hear about microfiber plastic pollution, it's not coming from faux fur. People aren't wearing their faux fur and tossing it in the laundry, where they might be wearing their spandex yoga pants and tossing those in the laundry, but the fur industry isn't going after yoga pants. They're going after faux fur because it is challenging a status symbol. It is challenging a source of power and a source of profits. It's not about whether faux fur or real fur is more environmentally friendly. We know that faux fur is more environmentally friendly when we look at the studies they compared what goes into making a real mink versus making something like a faux fur. What they found was that making a real mink had higher environmental impacts in, I believe, 14 or 15 out of the 16 categories of environmental impacts.
2: Could you touch a little bit about on on your sort of experience and the use of animals in fashion, starting with something like leather? You know, what has been your experience and your awareness as you've done this work and you've started to realise how damaging leather is to the planet. But then, what are the alternatives? How can we move away from something like leather?
0: Well, I think the fundamental issue we have in fashion is how we perceive luxurious items. Because at the moment, if we think about a leather bag, we think that's more worth than, uh, like, it's more luxurious than a non-leather bag. So I think this is the system, fundamental thing that just needs to change by that. Using really beautiful alternatives is the best way to do it. To show how beautiful products can be that are not made from an animal leather. Like I use, for example, cactus leather a lot because I feel like it really has a really timeless, luxurious look. In no way someone would say, in my opinion, wow, that has less value. And I think this is the one thing where me being a bit like, instead of being you shouldn't wear leather... I'm like, look at this beautiful cactus coat that I made. So I think this is the one thing that we can do, like changing it in a positive way by using these materials and showing people that don't know about it, that maybe don't know how bad leather is, that there is a beautiful alternative that looks even better. And yeah, definitely like any alternative is better than leather because especially for me, it's a lot about the animal. And the beauty of it, it also goes, of course, with the planet. It's actually better for the planet to use non-animal leather but as I see myself really like on the animal side I just do not want to wear skin from a living being and instead of saying that I'm just going to show an alternative so yeah there is beautiful alternatives like we have pineapple leather cactus leather there is a, a variety of leather alternatives which are plant-based and are better and even plastic in my opinion is just better than uh, animal leather the problem i see is really to change how we perceive luxurious items that we don't think plastic is less valuable um that we don't think a cactus leather coat would be less value than a uh, leather coat if that makes sense
2: yeah, absolutely. We we are also fighting against a lot of propaganda by industry, such as the wool industry. They recently put a um, an infomercial ad out and spent a lot of money trying to convince people that wearing plastic, which is obviously made from from oil originally, is bad for the planet, bad for the environment. When it comes to sort of these man-made fibers there's obviously the automatic assumption that they are negative that they have a negative effect on the environment or or people but this isn't always the case and you know we are up against a lot of propaganda by the um the wool industry the fur industry it's pretty fierce um have you seen any of these advertising pieces i mean have you experienced pushback from any industry who don't agree with vegan materials
0: I did, of course, because in the end of the day, they try to make money. And I think that's the one thing where it's like about, you know, of course, you always try to, if you're in the industry, of course you're trying to not, you know, you find, try to find a reason like, yeah, this is better. But at one point, I think, uh, the fundamental thing that's wrong is we shouldn't use animals it's a big discussion. But in the end of the day, we shouldn't use animals. Like this is the one thing that just doesn't make sense. And even if he, you go into an argument, if you think that there is nothing that can can convince you, you know what I mean? Like, of course, there's companies that use it, maybe wool they in in a better way than others. But in the end of the day, the the sheep is not ours. Like, why would I use wool then? And if there's beautiful alternatives, like there is just no reason for it in, in, in my world and in your world as well. Seeing the documentary uh, Slay was, you know, shows that quite well.
3: Fashion is such a brilliant tool for communication and expression. But I think because of those really lovely aspects, the social and environmental impacts have maybe been slightly overlooked. My name is Rebecca and I grew up in the fashion capital of the world, Paris. I love shopping. But I also want to know, what am I really paying for?
5: You
4: have to take what we're putting on our bodies
5: every day
4: slightly seriously. Animals disappear into fashion objects in a way that's very troubling and in a way that's intentionally hidden. It's a a form of moral insanity that we justify this behavior in in any kind of way.
3: No one wants to talk about the animals used for shoes, bags, and clothing. We're in this system that has normalized cruelty on a massive scale. Fashion brands are selling a dream, and they don't want us to see the reality, but I have to find out what's really going on
2: touching on the film which was very powerful like how did you feel about the way the film went into great detail about what is happening to animals and their use in the fashion industry
0: well i think it was per- like it was very honest uh, because we talk a lot about the meat industry but in fashion and like being vegan and not using animals we don't know so much like even for me for me it was first do i become vegan what do I eat? But then the fashion, we don't really think about it. So I think this is a good wake up call to understand we should not use wool. We should not use leather. We should definitely not use fur. There is blood. Like the one thing that it showed very well, I think, is that the beautiful products, the beautiful fashion shows is gorgeous. You know, we all look really beautiful in those products. But what is behind it? Like it's really dirty. It's really, there is blood everywhere. The people that work in, it's not only about the animals the people that work in those industries like it's so unhealthy why do we exploit people and animals and then it's like exploiting different cultures as well so it's just end the planet like there's too many things
5: This
1: is an industry that don't want society to understand what they do. They don't
5: want their secrets shared with the wider public. Of course they know what they are doing. It's part of the business to have a very weak traceability.
0: I think that it will make it a lot harder for people to support these products knowing where they came from
2: bit of a monster. And I think the problem is that it's a very powerful and very wealthy industry. And as Slay showed, the interests of these industries are vast uh, in the billions and billions of dollars. So the film's been out a while. Have you experienced anyone in the industry uh, watching the film, reaching out to you? Because obviously, the people that need to watch this film are the people that work in the fashion industry. Do you think that they're going to see this film and, and listen to it?
0: I hope so because like for someone like me obviously i'm already convinced <laughs> that like i know these things but i think it's more important to spread the word for someone that's not aware so i'm definitely spreading like the word and like sharing that with like within the fashion industry yeah so many more people need to see it so many more people need to become aware of it also what they purchase Like, it's important that, you know, like we look into our wardrobe and we're like, wow, like I have so many leather pieces because we all at one point did, right? I mean, I used to wear leather, you know, but I changed and I saw, I became aware and this awareness I think is the key. And I hope that, yeah, we spread the word more within the fashion industry, especially.
2: Let's go back to your brand. Uh, Your work combines modern art, performance, fashion, and the world's most diverse cultures. And the brand stands for equality, diversity, and a cruelty-free approach in every aspect. It's made for rebels with a cause, as you say, which I absolutely love. Your Spring 23 collection was a perfect representation of this. Blending light and darkness to empower the viewers. So this is fascinating, all these sort of like symbols and all this conceptual imagery coming to my mind. But how did you get the idea to build your brand like where did it start because obviously getting involved in fashion is one thing but actually having your own brand is something totally different where did you get the inspiration from and how did it all begin specifically
0: well it's quite funny so I worked for a company uh, in Germany as a designer so I've been already designing I study fashion design and then I really I always felt like I need to move to London uh, I don't know where it came from but I felt it And then I was like, well, now is the time. So I quitted my job and I moved to London. And I think that was the main thing, coming to London. Uh, I've never been abroad, like living somewhere else. And yeah, that move was the biggest move of my life. And I came here and I couldn't find a job. And I know it sounds quite like it's not funny at that point. But now I'm like, "Okay, I couldn't find a job even though I had the experience. And it pushed me to start my own brand because at one point I was spending all these hours trying to apply for design jobs and I couldn't get a job then I was like why wouldn't I you know start my own brand uh, and put all my time and effort into my own brand and that's where I was born before when I graduated which was probably 10 years ago I used leather for me starting the brand when I moved to London as a vegan I was like well you know what it somehow it doesn't make sense if I would you know, start where I ended this, you know, in my graduate collection, I was like, I I feel like I need to start a vegan brand. I started researching and finding all these alternatives already back then. And I was like, wow, this is mind blowing. And it's just, you know, the research and being excited about doing something completely different. Yeah, made me just really excited about starting my own brand. And it was quite at the beginning where I knew I have to change something because my life changed, my lifestyle changed yeah and then i started a vegan fashion brand uh, out of not finding a job in london (laughs) amazing
2: that's inspirational i mean i think a lot of people would probably give up and go home right but you decided to throw caution to the wind and and dive in which is the best thing in the world and and then there are times where i wish i had started my own business sooner and started working for myself much much sooner It's having that courage and that conviction that we can do it, right? Because we're constantly surrounded by messages that keep telling us there's so much competition. You know, you can't do it. You're not talented enough. You're not good enough. There's a lot of negativity, right, in the world around us. So it can be very hard to make these leaps of faith. But I think if you really believe in what you're doing and you have a clear vision and a goal for what you want, you've got to just start. You've got to just keep going day after day and and really hustling, as some people say, (laughs) even though I hate that word, but it is true. You know, (laughs) hustling is about really pouring your heart and soul into what you do and making some sacrifices. You know, you're not going to dinners with friends. You're not spending time with family. You know, you are making those sacrifices because you're building something that is yours, that belongs to you. And that takes a lot of guts and courage. So, you know, hats off to you and congratulations for, for your amazing work. It's really great to see. But the collections themselves and the work itself, like what Is it that inspires you to create what you create? You know, do you have any particular uh, artists that you um, look to? Are there any people in history that you look to, or any time periods that inspire you? What is it that sort of informs your style?
0: I think for me, it's really different cultures. Maybe also because I came from two, I was growing up with two cultures. When I travel, and I love to travel, I just see like, oh, look how different people live in different countries how they dress like my mood boards are really like like tribal heavy like how did tribes live back then how do they live now there are still loads of tribes and i know there is this book called uh before they pass away by jimmy nelson this is like my inspiration book um and this describes quite well what i'm inspired by um different jewelries to be honest, those tribes use a lot of animal products, <laughs> which in that sense doesn't make sense. But it really inspires me to see how different people all over the world dress. What do they believe in? There is a lot of tattoos, and like it's really interesting. And you know, like I traveled to Iran this year as well, and seeing that, and they at the moment they they uh, as you might know probably know they are on protests because uh, you know for the female rights. To not wear the hijab. And, um, you know, I saw that. I saw people on the streets fighting. And I think that's where the rebel with a cause comes from, because that's so inspiring. My mom used to fight on the streets in Iran like years ago, like 40 years ago, and they're still doing that. And that's so, I think that person that goes to the street, that's the rebel. And that's that was inspiring me. People, real people, different cultures. That's the main inspiration for me, really.
2: Amazing. Yeah, I mean, the hijab, the niqab, and all the different types of headwear, coverings that women wear in, in different cultures, they can have many meanings and have different effects on people's sort of lived experience. Obviously, you know, it's a very sensitive subject. I'm very aware of that. But when it comes to garments of that sort, and sort of identity, how do you feel about the way that how certain cultures expect women or or anticipate women to wear certain head coverings or face coverings and how the rest of the world sees it in a very sort of, most of the time, very negative light. Like in some parts of France, hijabs, I think are banned or the niqab is banned. One of the head covering and face coverings, well, it's not really seen as fashion, I suppose, but I guess it is in many ways. And I have heard stories from people say to me that these types of coverings are actually not when you go back in time are actually not traditional they are they were the the choice of of some kings or some royalty and so the people then began to mimic the kings and the royalty and start to wear these garments in a way to sort of mimic the royals and the sort of high higher classes how much do you know much about the history of these garments
0: well i do i do because that's as i said quite my inspiration uh you Know where my inspiration comes from, from different cultures. I'm definitely not an expert on this, and I think it's beautiful. It's part of a culture, it's like everything that we, you know, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. If you, and I think the freedom of choice is again, and don't want to be too political about sure. it, but everybody <laughs> should have the choice, right? Like, we should just do what we feel good at. Like, th- this is like this is part of diversity, and uh, everybody should be able to do what they want. Like, if you want to wear it, if you don't want to wear it, like honestly, that. Everybody ha- has to have a choice and a voice as well, but right. um, and
2: no one should be forced to wear or not to wear something, right? And it doesn't even have to be a head covering; it could be anything. It could be, anything. you know, a yarmulke that Jewish young Jewish men wear. I think they are expected to wear them, but um, I don't think they are forced to wear them. I think their families may become, you know, disgruntled if they don't wear them. Tradition, culture, and fashion are so deeply entwined. And national dress and and the way people present themselves to the world is such a fascinating subject. And we could probably talk for hours about it. I'm really interested in all the different national dresses of different countries and what they represent. And, you know, places like England, you know, the area of England has no national dress, really, there is no national identity when it comes to clothing, it might be like Adidas tracksuits or something. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i love that
2: you know that and it's and it's sad that there's certain cultures that have lost their identity and and in, in, in through and through fashion it has become fast fashion that has replaced the national identity uh and the clothing of, of the people who lived in the you know the british the british isles or the english isles english united kingdom because you look in scotland the Scottish have the tartan. They have the kilts. They have all this rich clothing and, and, and garments and even the Irish and all the, cult, the Celts. But I don't know what happened to the English. They sort of lost, lost it. <laughs> lost it somewhere. <laughs> lost it somewhere. But I hope, you know, uh, that's the thing. That, you know, fashion is evolution as well, isn't it? And people can start trends and people can start new cultures. And that's what's so exciting about what we wear. And it's always ever evolving. But um, moving, moving on to the consumer Because at the end of the day, you know, fashion is nothing without people who purchase these garments and wear them. There are a lot of people in this world who want to do better. They want to wear better, um, but they can't afford to. They can't afford to spend huge amounts of money on one-off couture or, you know, items of clothing that are, you know, selling, say, like Stella's store for hundreds and hundreds of pounds per item. But their alternative, well, their options for the most part seem to be things like Primark, And these fast fashion river, uh, what's it called? River Island and places like that. But there is a huge issue with the way the fashion is made and also the people that are exploited to make it. How do we live our lives without being sort of, if we don't have, you know, lots of money how do we how do we make better choices when it comes to fashion
0: well i think there is a few options at the moment which is not overly expensive which is great so uh, i think if you want to purchase something new like if you do research i'm sure like i'm sure you can find something in your budget if you can't I personally, even me, I go vintage shopping. I go to charity shops. Like there is beautiful, like there is so much already here that we can do. Like we don't need to buy something from Primark, in my opinion, because we could get it in the thrift shop around the corner. And I think London is a great, place you know we have so many lovely we have so many clothes that we're like hanging in stores and we don't like it ima- might like we don't need to support the fast fashion industry there is no reason for it really um if you can't afford it and i know you know my products are quite expensive I'm trying to have a few products which are not overly expensive but still you have to have the money to buy them and if you don't like i think it's just great if you can go to your local thrift shop or vintage store and there's beautiful products already there That's what I would do because I think the exploiting animals, the planet and people has to stop.
2: A good friend of mine um, said that, well, there are, just talking about t-shirts, as boring as t-shirts can be, they can also be fun. There are enough t-shirts to last about five generations already made on Earth today. And so many of them are ending up in landfill and there's this garment the sort of you know the t-shirt maybe when we when we meet you can tell me about the history of the t-shirt because it's a very obviously such a you know it's such a ubiquitous piece of clothing but it's obviously quite a modern piece of clothing i would say roughly isn't it, it you know it's not something that's been around since the 1800s but nope. <laughs> it's it's mass it's a mass it's really a symbol of mass produced fashion isn't it and it's a huge problem i mean you know fashion industry produces vast amounts of greenhouse gas emissions specifically and also especially when they end up in landfills as well a lot of people don't realize that when you throw away your clothing and it doesn't get reused or it doesn't get you know regifted or or, or shared with family members it will probably end up in a landfill because it, most of the time it doesn't get recycled unless you're giving it to a specific company but you know there is as you say lots that can be done and people do just need to do a bit more research and don't have that knee jerk reaction and go straight to a fast fashion company like, you know, Primark because they certainly aren't doing any good things for the environment, that's for sure. So, I'm interested to learn a bit more about some of your celebrity work, so Lady Gaga wore some of your designs and so is Taylor Swift. How important is it for celebrity to represent the alternative fashion industry, so the sustainable or the eco or the vegan fashion industry because, you know, there is a lot of opportunity to have this conversation, but I don't know if enough people are talking about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, having such a list <laughs> of celebrities like Lady Gaga and Taylor Swift wearing um, the pieces is quite big. Because in the end of the day, I personally don't know if they picked them because they're more sustainable or vegan. But even if they didn't, uh, and even if it wasn't really mentioned um, that it's like a vegan catsuit, for example. But in the end of the day, people get a war of the brand. And if they hear something about the brand, they will always understand that it's a vegan brand. And, um, not using animal products, so you know, like if you have someone like that wearing the pieces, it is such a big thing because they could have also used i don't know a silk lace piece or like something else, um but no, like it makes people be more aware, and then we go back to the awareness because the more people see it, the more people become aware of it, and especially, as I said already at the show when we met, uh, we don't need to convince the vegan we don't need to convince the vegans, we need to convince the people that don't know these things, uh, because we're already convinced,
5: we're already on that side, right? So the meat dress, it's actually Val Garland's idea.
2: So Lady Gaga specifically, you know, in in 2010, she wore that meat dress to the MTV Music Video Awards.
5: Val Garland, the makeup artist, uh, her and I worked together for a long time and she shared a story with me where she had gone to a party wearing sausages. And I thought this was quite funny. And I said, well, that's a great way to make sure that everybody leaves you alone at a party. I was speaking with my artistic friends about if we wanted to make any statements while we were at the MTV Video Music Awards. And we did want to make a statement because at the time uh, they were trying to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. But we decided uh, to do the meat dress because I thought to myself, if you are willing to die for your country, what does it matter how you identify? This was ultimately designed by Frank Fernandez, uh, but it was the brainchild of House of Gaga. And we were backstage with uh, Brandon Maxwell, who was working as one of my stylists at the time. He was vegan also and still helping to sew all of these last bits of meat to me and making my meat hat and my meat purse, which was held by Cher. It smelled like meat. It was thrilling to wear. There's a corset under this, but the corset was sewn to the meat. So this is actually a garment. They didn't just drape meat over me and uh, cross their
2: fingers. She has been seen wearing fur a fair bit, though I haven't really seen her in in, in recent times. But what is it about fur that people are so obsessed about? Because it seems to still be... You still see a lot of people wearing fur, and it seems to be making a comeback. Starting to see more and more people wearing it again, despite the fact that I think in the '90s, like Naomi Campbell and various other sort of high-flying A-list supermodels, were saying, "I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'd rather go naked than wear fur." But it seems to be back, and it seems to be back on the shelves, even though a lot of high-fashion brands have dropped it. It just hasn't gone away. Why is that? Do you think?
0: It's all status. Fur is always, and this is what I said before, we have to change how we see luxury fashion. Because if I go there and then you wear fur, it shows you have money. And this is why people still wear it. And like, this is what I'm convinced that's the only reason. Because uh, of course, if you have a fur coat in in the documentary, it showed how many animals are used within one coat which is quite scary, to be honest. But this is the thing, like it's expensive. It shows you have a status, it shows you have money. But we need to change that a faux fur coat will show you have status and not a real fur coat. And it's also like how the industry, you know, you just see the beautiful product. You don't really, like if you're not aware, you don't see what's really behind it. We should know what's, you know, what's behind fur. So I don't think this is a reason that we should wear it because it looks pretty we should be aware of it, that there is beautiful alternatives. Why would you even choose that if you have so many beautiful alternatives um, with faux fur, for example, or, you know, like even with the leather, I don't understand why it has a comeback, but I still think we can change things. And you know, fashion weeks are cutting off fur. London Fashion Week doesn't allow you to show fur. So I think there is even more change coming, so I I'd say I would focus more on how we like how beautiful the change is going, especially within the fur industry that we don't use it anymore. But I mean, I know loads of people wear vintage fur; it's still. Do fur, you think that so. do you think
2: that normalizes the use of animal skins and fur? Do you think that wearing um vintage fur kind of normalizes the use of um animal products and animal skins? And my second question, is, which is linked to that, is do you think that when we wear faux fur that looks exactly like real fur, are we still normalizing the use and uh, com- you know the consumption of, of animals in fashion?
0: Well, to a point where you're not in the industry, it could look similar. I personally think it looks different. I can definitely spot a faux fur and a fur, even though we have really good alternatives, but I could see it. Wearing a vintage fur, and I know like lots of people use that as an you know that's my grandmother's fur coat, um which is obviously better than purchasing a new one. Don't get me wrong, but uh it still shows it's okay to wear an animal and uh you know which doesn't belong to you, and still shows I have money. I think that's what we used to with fur it's a lot linked, I think to the status really. I would not wear a vintage fur coat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I would just <laughs> yeah. not do it because I, it shows it's okay to do mm-hmm. it.
2: Yeah. It doesn't align with your values, does it? So uh, just some quick questions. So who would be your dream celebrity or famous person? It doesn't have to be a celebrity. Who would you love to work with dead or alive?
0: <laughs> <laughs> dead or alive. I think for me, I'd love to work with someone like Billie Eilish because she all she's really like into the core values of the brand as well. You know, like, for the planet, she's vegan. Uh, I think that's, yeah, it's just great if, you know, you come together with someone that doesn't understand what you're doing. On the other hand, uh, and I don't have a name, I wouldn't know a person um, that would be into this, but I think someone that's completely, absolutely against veganism. <laughs> someone who doesn't believe it and I need to change their op- opinion about it. You know, like, someone that really is the opposite of my values. To convince that person, I think that would be great to dress someone like that. And yeah, collaboration-wise, I think, you know, because I'm a rebel with a cause and a brand for the rebels for the cause, I think someone like Dr. Martens, they have vegan shoes, but like to just collaborate with like a brand like that would be great to, uh, because they have such a big platform to convince and make more people aware of it, if that makes sense.
2: And what's uh, what's in, in store for you in the future? Are there any exciting projects you want to share? And uh, where are you and what are you up to in the next few months?
0: Well, I think f- uh, for me, it's really maybe more exploring on a wholesale level. I've been recently stocked at Zalando, which is, uh, I don't know if you know about that. It's like a, a big online uh, marketplace, which is quite known in Europe mainly. I think the wholesale market, what it would do for me is like to spread into like to become that it becomes a bit more av- uh, available to people because right now it's not like it's a bit more expensive people don't know what it is so if you are like more into the wholesale market I will open more doors people will see it people become more aware of the brand and the values and what it stands for so I think this is kind of what I'm working on right now Um, which Talando is already quite a big you know like a big uh, platform to be in yeah. And just, you know, like uh, I'm, I'm probably going to do something uh, for the next fashion week, which is exciting, but yeah, will be shared soon. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited about the future, to be honest.
2: Well, do share your news with us uh, and send over to our press team so we can always shout about all your amazing things that you're up to. But before <laughs> I let you go, Sarah, I'd like to ask my guest this one final question. If you were stuck on a desert island and it's just you and a pig, you're obviously not going to eat the pig because you're vegan. But if I could give you one vegan dish, one music artist, and one book, what would you take with you?
0: Okay, so um, book, I would say The Alchemist.
2: It's my favorite book.
0: Okay, it's my favorite book as well. <laughs> I love that. Uh, especially in the desert, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, music artist would be Queen.
1: Stop now. I'm having such a
0: good time. I'm having a ball. then but okay (laughs) amazing what was the last one vegan dish vegan dish oh wow that's a tricky question isn't it (laughs) i think it would be chickpea curry
2: (laughs) oh amazing quite a few things i love there some great choices sarah thank you so much for joining us on the pbn podcast Uh, it's been a pleasure to hear a bit of your story and uh, hear about your amazing passion
0: thank you so much for having me honestly
2: (laughs) Thanks for joining us, everyone. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie, and this is the PB and Podcast. We'll be back next time with more food, fashion, veganism, animals, and everything in between.